Thank you so much for braving the snow this morning. <laughs> Is it your Groundhog Day? Is that the... <laughs> so, uh, I grew up in Oregon, and one of the unusual uh, things about Oregon... Uh, compared to other parts of the world, is that there has been a lot of volcanic activity, uh, actually volcanoes. In fact, Portland is the only city in the United States that has a volcano inside the city limits. Um, and that sounds a little crazy. Yeah, that's why they're keeping Portland weird. Um, <clears throat> some of the jokes are for a reason. So uh, one of the, the fun things about that is that you can drive from Portland uh, a couple hours over the uh, mountain range and reach an area where you can see obsidian and lava rock for a great, great distance. And um, it's really difficult to walk over, depending on where you are in the time of year. There's actually rattlesnakes, so I don't recommend it as a tourist activity. Um, but it, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing. And one of the other uh, ge- geological... I'm going to try to get my vocabulary... Right, I'm still recovering from sleep. Um, one of the geological features is that there are caves, a lot of caves in Oregon. And, and if you don't know, people that love caves a lot are called spelunkers. And so spelunkers, this is a real word, I know. I know most of you think I make up everything on a Sunday, but I don't. Uh, spelunkers will come from other parts of the country to Oregon because of the caves. And one of the caves that um, I enjoyed is uh, the result of an underground river of lava that created this cave. And it crested uh, at the, the surface of the earth and so in one direction that you can go, it's a quarter mile, and it's not very stable. They keep that fenced off, and of course we went in there. Uh, the other direction, uh, the other direction, the cave goes for three quarters of a mile. And so it's a pretty serious lava river cave. And um, I had some, some friends and I uh, from, uh, you know, elementary, middle school, high school, um, uh, that we... We did a lot of stuff together, loved to get out outdoors together, uh, you know, take take off as soon, as soon as our parents would let us, you know, take off, uh, everybody jump in a car, sleep in a car for three days and go with us to the ocean and the mountains, different places. And one of the things that we did one time, uh, in part because one of the guys had a grandmother nearby because sleeping in a car is only but so comfortable, uh, was to visit this lava river cave. And of course, we we get out of the car and and uh, just go cruising uh, down to to check it out, and uh, went right past uh, what we found later was a little bit of a visitor center where you're supposed to pay an admission and then get a lantern, uh, which we didn't do. We were just you know cruising in the cave, and and you get you climb down through the rocks and then you come to uh, a room in the cave, if you will, that's as big as this room right here, big, open, obviously taller and weirder, you know, not box shaped, but. Um, that's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of people going down uh, in this, and so there's kind of lanterns um, all over, and we can see that, and and um, so we continue to hike, and the cave would narrow, and then open up, and narrow, and then open up, and uh, pretty soon we started to um, get away from the group, as was usual for us, um, and 
all of a sudden we realized why people would have lanterns, right? Because if you get in a cave, you're half mile under the earth, you can't see your hand in front of your face. You literally, you're like, oh, that was my hand. Uh, you can't, you, you, you can't see anything. And that, that's fine if it's even ground that you're walking on. But if you occasionally crack your shin on lava rock, it's painful. Um, that might seem obvious to you, but when you're, when you're trying to make progress in a cave, you know, and you don't have any light whatsoever, that's a really different experience. And please forgive me if you have a fear of the dark for telling this story. Um, so what we actually did was we, we persisted, of course, and, persisted to the point where uh, the cave actually narrowed down to about this tall and there was sand underneath us and then about this narrow and so we're squeezing through squeezing through and the way this cave goes like you start to think like it's just going to open up into a whole other room and those of you that are claustrophobic you have to forgive me later and then literally like I got to and I was at the the front of the group not surprisingly and uh, literally got to the place where I was crawling on my belly and there's rock on either side of me and and it just narrows into nothing and so I literally reached, oh, that, that's it, guys. No, we got to turn around. And then they, of course, think I'm joking, understandably. No, no, I'm serious. Now we need to, and then now I realize I don't have a light. And if this rock shifts in any way, I'm probably dead. No, seriously, back up. As <laughs> so I'm like, belly crawling. And then I realized something else. I'm not very good at belly crawling backwards. I could have used, I could have used, um, a light. So today, uh, our, our topic today is flashlight. Now just everybody take a breath and just look around and realize you're in a well-lit room that's larger than you need it to be. Everybody okay? Okay. So I don't know if I don't know if you have ever in your life felt a little bit unclear about what steps you should be taking. Or maybe asking yourself, is God talking to me? I don't mean like in that you talking to me. No, I mean like, is God really speaking? I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I want to spend some time turning to the scripture today because I do believe that God is talking to you. You see Psalm 119, the largest chapter, longest chapter in the Bible, which is a poetic song based on the Hebrew alphabet. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have spoken to us. And I thank you that you've also made a commitment that where we need help, you're going to help us. So today, as we turn to the word, I ask Would you please help us as we turn to the scripture to hear what you are saying and to be doers of the word? In Jesus' name, amen. So, the song says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. This this song is amazing. It's an amazing psalm. I'll lift just a couple other passages from it. Psalm 119, 74 through 77. I have put my hope in your word. I know, O Lord, that your regulations are fair 
You disciplined me because I needed it. Now let your unfailing love comfort me, just as you promised me your servant. Surround me with your tender mercies so I may live. For your instructions are my delight. Now the theme of this verse is this personal relationship with the living God, with the Scripture as instrumental in that relationship. Your instructions are my delight. Psalm one nineteen ninety seven. Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Psalm 119.114 You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. I mean, I, I know what it's like to feel more like your word is my source of frustration. But the, the songwriters come to a place of your word is my source of hope. Check this out. How's this for cursing in church? I rise early before the sun is up. How did he do that? He didn't have an alarm clock. He didn't have an iPhone or even an Android. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. Now, I love you today. And one of the things I have learned about human nature is that we can tend to be more like a basset hound than a wolf. Did you know a basset hound is the only breed of dog that will howl while still laying down? And sometimes that's what we do. We're hurting. We're frustrated, we are upset, we are in pain, we are depressed, we are anxious, and we will howl about it and not get up and not turn to where our help is. You may have heard the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. If we're not careful, we can live with a measure of depression, anxiety, frustration, pain, questions, doubt, and not do anything about it. And God has already offered us help. And so here we go cussing again. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. I've wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me for I have not forgotten your commands. Verse 176. I think it's really important for us to stop every once in a while and and like actually think about this. And I if you if you watch your emails, uh yesterday I emailed you and said, Hey, why don't you bring uh, if you still have a physical copy of the Bible, why don't you bring it with you today? I should like look at this thing that's in your hands. God's word should be a source of hope. It should be life-giving. It should be something we desire. Now, when we get started, it can be frustrating. It can be mysterious. It, it takes work. I'm here to tell you, it works if you work it. So work it, you're worth it. 
It's very important for us to think about what are our motives when we approach the scripture. What I don't want you to come away from today is I've got to approach the scripture because I feel guilty. Are you with me? I don't know about you, but I've already proven that doesn't help. (laughs) That kind of relationship with the scripture doesn't help. If we turn to the scripture to settle an argument or a bet, also not a motive that is the most helpful. If we turn to the scripture so that we can feel like we're a better person, not the most helpful. Do you know that you can read the Bible, study the Bible, learn from the Bible, and be worse off in your relationship with God? You can. I've met plenty of people that are like that. Nobody in this church. But the scripture says knowledge puffs up. You can, the, the, I don't know if you are aware of this, but the very first book of the Bible that was written down is the book of Job. And what we see in Job is many things, many lessons to be learned, but one is great debate between people that had understanding of God and not relationship with him that was helpful. You can learn a lot of these words and trivia, and you could best me in trivia, not hard, some of you have already found, but it not be life-giving to you and you not come away more like Jesus. Instead, you can come away more like somebody who's not nice, right? That's why Marge Simpson went to church to learn how to be more judgmental. (laughs) So your motive matters. And, And what I would hope is that you start to realize that the Bible is perfect in revealing Jesus. He gets so focused on debate about this thing, that thing, this contradicting that. How about this? What's the main point? What's the main point? What is the main point of Scripture? My hope for you is that you will interact with the God of the Scripture and in the Scripture discover God loving you through Jesus. Somebody say, that sounds good. Why did God give us the scripture? Well, God gave us the Bible to teach us about himself, to teach us about ourselves and the world we live in, to teach us, to help us live a healthy life on purpose. God gave us the scripture to communicate with us. God gave us the scripture to show us Jesus. Yeshua, Yambashia. God gave us the scripture to prepare us for the mission he has for us in this life. But I want to come back to this central thing. Your word is a light into my feet, a lamp into my path. Do you know that there is a lot in the scripture about Jesus? The very first question that God asks in the Bible is about you. The first question in the Psalms and the first question in the New Testament is about Jesus. God uses the scripture to explain how and why he has exalted Jesus to the highest place. All the events in biblical history, the historical books, point to his son. The law, that section of the Bible, was given to show us our sinfulness and our need for Jesus. The Old Testament priests and sacrifices point to our need for the greater high priest and ultimate sacrifice. The Gospels record the loving words and actions of the Son of God. The epistles, the letters in the New Testament explain how. It is only through His work on the cross that we can be saved from sin and filled with the Spirit. 
Revelation, the last book, the scary one, the revelation of Jesus, shows how he will one day return to judge and restore the earth and reign with his followers forever. All of this is written to exalt Jesus to the glory of God and the Father. These words should move us to exalt Jesus in our everyday lives. The Bible is perfect in its revelation of Jesus. So we got to check our motives. We need to think about how. How do we approach the Scripture? And I'm going to email you something today with a little bit of reading for this week if you would like to engage in it that will just kind of help you wrestle with these questions. Because I think it's important, right? You know, it, it's re- super easy today to just say, ah, oh, you know, it's an old-fashioned, blah, 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 and not have an appreciation for what it actually is. When, in fact, it's what academics would call a super text that has been read by more people than just about anything. In fact, um, we today, we have ancient manuscripts that date back to nearly the time of Christ, more than 4,300. The second most Greek text from that era that we have today is Homer's Iliad, in which we have less than 600. 4,300 actual copies that agree entirely, or less than 600. And yet, academically, what do we so easily... Do you know that we have less academic proof that the Caesars lived and died than we do that Jesus did? If we take an honest, unbiased approach just to that academic point, it's true. So at some point, we do need to come to a decision, and this text matters. How? How? I'm going to email you a link today about how we got it. How we got it matters. And if we do a little bit, just 15 minutes worth of mental exercise about how this came to be, we should come away with, it's pretty valuable. Are you with me? And the point, it's revealing Jesus to us. We should, in its pages, discover God loving us through Jesus. So, how should we approach the scripture? Well, my belief is that we should approach it with prayer. So yes, I do think that this includes, before you read it, God, would you help me? Right? God, help me. Help me get what you want me to get out of this, these words on these pages or on this app. And then as we go through it, we should continue to pray. It should be a dialogue with God. I think that, in my experience, most people who have asked me for help in spiritual growth and learning how to hear the voice of God, do not pray as they read the scripture. Do not listen for the voice of God as they read the scripture. I have found that this is a very helpful practice. So, one of the things that I do... And I, I gotta be honest with you. I, a lot of you in here are smarter than me, like, in serious ways, like SAT scores and all this. We won't even talk about it. Like IQ, a lot of you are way smarter than me. And I gotta be honest with you. A lot of you like to read more than I like to read. A lot of you like to write more than I like to write. A lot of you like to journal more. I hate journaling. (laughs) Okay. There. I said it. (laughs) But one thing that I have done over the years that has been incredibly helpful to me is to keep something near me when I'm interacting with the scripture 
so that I can scribble notes. And, and my all my teachers tried to help me with my handwriting. What can I say? But what I try to do is make notes, make observations. What what am I seeing in the scripture? What am I or what questions do I have? What bothers me? What upsets me or what troubles me or what do I doubt? I, I write it down. And everyone has a different learning style and everyone has a different means of, of growing spiritually. And I'm not saying that this is right for everybody. But what I have found is that most people that exercise this practice have more peace about their doubts and find it easier to actually interact with God. And even most atheists that do this practice in trying to disprove God and interacting with the scripture, that they are actually more peaceful. They like Their arguments are a little bit more mellow. No, I'm serious. I've observed this. So if I'm praying and I'm talking with God as I'm interacting with, with that, then, then it's easier to also approach it with faith. So if I'm interacting with this, what part of what should be coming out of this is that I'm starting to believe things that I did not believe before. Now, for me, the bell ringer verse coming out of the fast was out of Hebrews. It says it's impossible to please God without faith, right? And impossible to without believing that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Or seek Him wholeheartedly. Now, the, some of the scripture focuses that we had through our 21 days of prayer and fasting were on wholehearted devotion. So I'm here to tell you today that God rewards you because you diligently sought Him. So now that makes it easier for me to read the scripture with faith. So I should read the scripture with faith. I should read the scripture with prayer, asking God for help. And really, I should read the scripture with humility. Or if you're from New England, humility. It should be a realization that millions of people, and not just Jesus followers or Christians, millions of people have found this book to be helpful. That should give me some pause. And when I come to it, my predisposition should not be, this is wrong. My predisposition should be, I should consider this. And my predisposition pretty quickly, especially if you're going to call yourself a Jesus follower, should should be, God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. I mean, come on. If you're feeling, hey, my way's not working out. Well, then, <laughs> include that in your motive and how you interact with the Scripture. Oh, this is good stuff. I should come, approach the Scripture prepared to obey it. My heart posture, I should be leaning that direction. And lastly, I should approach the Scripture diligently. Uh, how many of you find that helpful? Three. Excellent. Okay, so... Let's try an experiment of taking something away from God's Word. Are you ready? I'm going to just turn us to a verse real quick. I'll turn you there um, on the screen just for the sake of time. Okay, for those of you who haven't read the screen yet, the verse says, My breath is repulsive to my wife. I am rejected by my own family. (laughs) I'm getting that sideways look. Where are we going with this? It's just just a little humor. 
just a little humor, talk about context. What's so important is that you don't just take a phrase or a sentence out of the scripture, out of context, and run your life and make decisions and have beliefs based on that. It is a really lazy, wrong-headed approach, and yet it is what most people do. And by the way, my belief in human history is that the most dangerous people in human history have been people who called themselves Christians who were not. And one of the ways that you can do that on accident is by taking words from Scripture out of context. Let me give you a simple analogy. When you study the Scripture, think apple rather than orange. Do that, and then I'll be saying, aren't you glad I said you should do that? Here's here's what I mean. Typically, typically when you eat an apple, you take a bite out of the whole fruit. When you eat an orange, most people will break it into isolated pieces and then eat the pieces individually. When you take the scripture, take the whole apple. And don't think you got it figured out until you've taken the whole apple. The more you read the whole Bible, the better you will understand the whole story, the better chance you'll have to actually be using it properly and it for it to be life-giving, something you enjoy, and something that is truly a light unto your feet, a lamp unto your path. Come on, somebody. That is good. Okay. I, I like um, the way that Amanda Berry Smith loved the Scripture, who you see on the screen. She loved the Scripture and discovered in its pages that God was loving her through Jesus. She loved to tell her salvation story. She had been born a slave. Her husband and children passed away. And after that, she found faith in Jesus, and within a year of finding faith in Jesus, began to travel preaching the good news. She started in the AME, or the African Methodist Episcopal Churches of New York and New Jersey. She was a singer, missionary, and evangelist. White holiness believers heard God's word and loved clearly in her preaching and her singing. From 1870 on, she went out in ever-widening circles from America to England to India and West Africa. She returned to America in 1890. In the Chicago area, she founded an industrial home for African-American orphans and then continued to preach and sing to support its work. Her fervent, straightforward speaking and writing style jumps off the pages at us from her autobiography, which is recommended reading. I also really appreciate Lisa Sharon Harper, who came and met with us um, in that year following the death of Freddie Gray and and is a, a great voice in our culture today on these issues. And I like the way that she has taken her approach to the scripture, even though she's not an academic, her hermeneutics are not perfect, but I love the way she has taken the heart of the scripture and the heart of Jesus in the book that you see on the screen that I recommend, The Very Good Gospel. So let's talk about... How do we use the Bible to hear God's guidance? Are you ready? This is good. So, for some of you that like things that are like memory tools, this is called SOAP. For those of you that don't, just ignore that part. So, four steps that I find are helpful for us as an individual and for us in groups, small groups and large groups, 
for us to take away something from the scripture, for us to discover God loving us through Jesus, and for us to find that it's a light into our feet, a lamp into our path that is helpful for how we should live. So we start with the S being scripture. First of all, you got to read it. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's that. Right? So first of all, you've got to read it. And that will, that may start with a verse and then it may become the chapter. Or, or maybe you start with the smaller books of the Bible so it's easier to read the whole book and kind of get the whole context of what's being said. Easier for you to kind of get the, okay, who's talking? Who are they talking to? What kind of, what kind of text is this? Is this a poem? Is this a song? Is this a prophecy? Is this a historical account of what's going on? Not everything in this, in the scripture is prescriptive. When we read the scripture about people having multiple wives and going to war, it's not telling us to do those things. And what you notice if you pay attention is you look carefully for what things did God bless, which is different than what things did God redeem. God can bring healing and forgiveness and change in particular for the unloved spouse who is wife number two, wife number three, wife number four, and their children. He could redeem what was a mistake and what was sinful, but it did not mean that he prescribed it and that he blessed this sin itself. So it's important for us to understand what it is that we are reading. And then there are passages that are certainly prescriptive, and the words of Jesus are obviously where I would suggest focusing. So first of all, read the scripture. Your word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. Second, Make an observation. Now what I find is is rampant in the U.S. today is people skip over where that should start. And where that should start is what is the plain, simple truth. Because here's a really easy rule of thumb. If it's easy to take it literally, then take it literally. (laughs) If it's not, then ask questions. But what you should come away with is what's the plain, simple truth of this passage. That should be your observation. And that's where I recommend you know, doing, doing something like this. Because sometimes if you write it down, you might look at that and go, oh no, I, I was a little bit wrong-headed in how I should look at that. Hello? Yeah. Right? So, make an observation. What's the plain, simple truth of this passage? Now, secondary to that, and by secondary, I really mean not only second in order, but also second in value, should be, what is God saying to me through this passage? But the reality of it is, is that if you get in a circle of your friends and you read a scripture and everybody, hey, what do you, what do you think this is saying? And what we actually talk about are what we think God is saying to us through the passage, but we don't start with what the passage actually says. We can have a really good time, but come away with heresy and what heresy, BS, wrong, wrong headed thinking, bad stuff. That's what that stands for. We can come away with, oh, I'm going to form a church around my thinking. Ooh, wrong. <laughs> right? If we start with, this is what I think it's saying. And, and, and it's very important for us to start with, what is it actually saying? Okay, we got it. So what is it? And then from there, once I know what it is actually saying, then I can ask the question, what is God saying to me through it? And what I find is that a lot of times people, I want to hear the voice of God. God has spoken. And this should be our starting point. If we start with the subjective, we're, we're, we're in a danger zone. Now listen, God is our Father, and Jesus gives us that very helpful analogy that God is our Father. And a part of what that includes is this idea that God loves you. And listen, 
My, uh, when my kids were zero, one, two, three years old, and they did stuff that they shouldn't do when they're 21, 22, 23, I, my verbal interaction with them was not disappointment on a level that it would be if they were doing the same thing at 21, 22, 23. Are you with me? Because as of even me, a bad dad, so to speak, right? To use Jesus' analogy when he talked about this subject. Even me, who has a sin nature, who has to work through these things. Even I can be like, oh, isn't it cute when they did that? Now don't do that again. <laughs> right? So I want you to hear that today, that when you have abused the scripture in the past, and you have, that God loves you. He's not beating you over the head about it. He wants you to taste and see that it's good. A part of, for Hebrew young boys to this day, Jewish young boys that are fortunate enough to have their bar mitzvah out in Jerusalem, and a part of the procedures, they go to the western wall, which is actually not a wall, it's actually part, it was all underground, it was all part of the foundation, so Jesus' prophecy was true, that no stone would be, anyway, you get it. And they're at the, they're at the wall for a part of their bar mitzvah. And the, the women are separated from the men, and there's this little visual barrier. But one of the parts of the process most often is reciting Psalm 119 and reciting passages that include this idea that his word is sweet to the taste. And at that point, the ladies throw over the visual barrier candy. It's a part of the ceremony. It's signifying that his word is sweet to the taste. And so God who loves you, God the Father who is patient with you, is not mean and legalistic judging you when you've abused the scripture in the past. No, he's like, it's great they're tasting that it's good. Because God your Father knows that if you will taste it, it's good. You will develop an appetite for it. And that your appetite for it will lead to disciplines and practices that are life-giving to you. That's really good. God loves you in that way. So what's the plain, simple truth of what is God saying to me? That's scripture and observation. Then third, application. What should I do about this? What does it mean to me? And those are two separate things. And um, it's easy for us in our human nature to gravitate towards guilt and I didn't do that and I have to do that differently. What if... Today, by not reading scripture, you had a legalistic, judgmental view of God that was wrong. And instead, through the scripture, you found that what God wanted for you was that passage from Hebrews we talked about earlier. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I find we will enjoy God and want to love God more if we will come honestly and look for who he really is and not relate to him through our skewed perspective, through our tendency to keep him in a box. Just C.S. Lewis and Aslan and all that, let the lion be the lion. The, 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 the God that is in the scripture, let it explode your imagination. And so coming away from that, first and foremost should be What does that mean to me? How does that affect my state of being? This amazing passage of scripture that is relevant this year to us as a church and to us as citizens of Baltimore City about the sons of God, realizing that they are the sons of God and standing in that identity. The children of God, the earth, the the scriptures, the earth is groaning. Creation yearns for when us, God's kids, will wake up to what that means. 
It should affect our state of being the most. And then from there, an application. What does it mean to me? What should I do about it? And then last, the fourth point that you see there is practice. you got to do something about it. And what I find is that you rarely do something about it unless you plan it, unless you do it. So there are many passages, ways that we can do this, and I apologize, I didn't leave myself enough time for us to really do this as an exercise together. But allow me, if I may, to just read these two verses to you and have you think about applying that analogy to it. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Could we discover God loving us through Jesus? Could we this week take that scripture and let it be a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path? Could we see in our state of being that we are so valuable that God chose to walk out this plan through Jesus, which cost him plenty. Extends resurrection life to us. And we can live out of that. Thank you. Let's stand and close in prayer today. Thank you, God, so much that you are not cruel, that you didn't leave us to grope our way around this earth wandering in the dark with no instructions, just struggling based on our own ability to hear your voice subjectively. But God, in your grace, God, in your mercy, in your love, you have spoken to us. You have given us objective truth. You've given us your word that we can turn to and in it find an infinite amount of truth. In it every day find you speaking something new. Help us, God. It's not easy. We need your help. Help us to approach the scripture with faith, with humility, with prayer. Would you breathe life into it that it would read us more than we read it? I thank you that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you today. In the name of Jesus, amen.